you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addison's. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Good afternoon. This is Aaron the Addisons here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison, and today is Wednesdays with Will. Wednesdays with Will. I'm glad to be here holding it down for the Addison, for the Addison tribe. And uh, just have a a few things I want to talk to you about today. I don't even know if I'm going to get through them all, you know, but I'm going to try. Maybe this will be part two uh, for for next week, but... uh, there's a certain topic that I wanted to talk about. Um, but first, if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Facebook. Just look up Aaron the Addisons. If you want to email us, Addisons at AFR.net, Addisons at AFR.net. Uh, if you want to download the podcast, just go to AFR.net. Uh, click on Airing the Addisons, and you can find the shows there. Or go ahead and download the AF, AFR app get the shows as well. So today, I want to talk a little bit about discipline. Discipline. And that's a word that we don't really like, you know, today, or we might like it, but it's kind of hard to do. It's hard to be disciplined. <laughs> Sherry B nodding her head. It's, that's a hard thing. But in order to live the life of a Christian, we have to have discipline. And there are two disciplines that I want to uh, kind of talk about Today, it's two separate scriptures, uh, portions of scriptures, but and two separate, two different types of uh, disciplines. And so, that's a scripture, First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-four through twenty-seven, and it reads like this: Do you not know that those who run in a race they all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, and I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified. That discipline there, and I'm going to try to say how it's pronounced, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, inkrataomi, and it means to be self-controlled, self-governing, okay? Self-controlled or self-governing. And so we have to ask our question, what are the things that we're passionate about, right? What, what are those things that we will work hard to get accomplished, because we love doing it so much. What are those things? What are those things that we are, are willing to lay it all on the line, all on the line, so that we can achieve this? And a lot of those things are temporal, temporal if you think about it. And we're going to come back to this scripture. 
But I want to share something that I shared with some of the young people at our, at our church uh, this past Sunday. And it was about being disciplined. So what I did was I asked the, the, the kids, I said, uh, when you think about discipline, what do you think? And they gave their answer, what, what discipline was, you know, being able to uh, sustain something, do something for a long period of time, you know, having self-control, different things that they were throwing out. And so I said, you know, you guys like sports, and some of them like sports, some of them didn't, you know. Um, it, it was pretty much the girls that really didn't like the sports. So, but the boys were all like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know Sherry B likes sports. Um, and so I asked, I said, man, so what are some great athletes? Who are some great athletes that you know about? And they start naming them off. They said, like, Steph Curry. <laughs> they said, uh, Michael Jordan. One said Larry Bird. One said, you know, uh, I don't know. You could, just great athletes. They were naming them off. LeBron James. Somebody said LeBron James. Somebody said Michael Jordan. I, I might have said that. Michael Jordan. And so I said, you know what? Those were all great athletes. And they they um, they did their very best. Like, they put it all on the line. And some of them are still playing now, and they're, they're doing very well. I said, but there was one athlete that you didn't mention. And so they were like, who's that? Who's that? And I said, you know, the one person that I didn't hear y'all call out was Kobe Bryant. Now, this is not an endorsement for Kobe Bryant. You know, he passed away at the age of 41. But it always amazed me how hard he worked to try to be the best. He tried, I mean, he did some amazing things to try to be the best. And so this first piece of discipline that he showed was self-control. He showed, you know, work ethic, all of this stuff that he that he did to try to be the best athlete he could be. And so I start telling him some things about Kobe Bryant, things like this, that he used to show up to practice at 5 a.m. and leave at 7 a.m. in high school, in high school. I told him he'd make uh, high school teammates play him one-on-one uh, to, in, in, in games to, to 100. To 100. That's, <laughs> that'll wear you out. Former Lakers players and head coach Byron Scott said he once found an 18-year-old Kobe shooting in a dark gym two hours before practice. In a dark gym. The former NBA player and Lakers teammate John Celestin said uh, Kobe was always the first player in the gym, even when he was hurt. Talking about discipline. (laughs) He once played left-handed because he, he injured his right shoulder. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal said that Kobe used to practice without a ball, do full moves and like he's in the game, but without a ball. According to Team USA trainer, Kobe once held a workout from 4.15 a.m. to 11 a.m., refusing to leave the gym until he made 800 shots. 800 shots. So he was all about improvement, even in the, uh, the tiniest ways. He had Nike to shave a few millimeters off the bottom of his shoes in 2008 to get a hundredth of a second better reaction time. 
<laughs> That's insane. That's insane. He decided to lose 16 pounds for the Olympics in 2012, citing the need to help, to keep his knees pain-free. He iced his knees for 20 minutes three times per day and did acupuncture so he wouldn't get hurt. He was also strict about what he ate. He cut out all sugar and stuff like that. And we've heard of athletes doing uh, things like that, but that kind of stuff takes discipline. Consider this one story. So there was a night before the first scrimmage. He said, I remember I had just watched Casablanca for the first time, and it was 3.30 a.m. His trainer said, I lay in the bed and uh, slowly fading away when I hear my cell phone ring. It was Kobe. He said, I nervously picked it up. Hey, uh, Rob, I hope I'm not disturbing anything, right? Uh, no. What's up, Kobe? Just wondering if you could just help me out with some conditioning work. That's all. I checked my clock, 4.15 a.m. Yeah, sure. I'll see you in the facility in a bit. It took me about 20 minutes to get my gear out of, out of the hotel and get out of the hotel. And when I arrived and opened the door to the main practice floor, I saw Kobe alone. He was drenched in sweat as if he had just taken a swim. It wasn't even 5 a.m. We did some conditioning work for the next hour and uh, 15 minutes. Then we entered the weight room where he would do a multitude of strength training exercises for the next 45 minutes. After that, we parted ways and he went back to the practice floor to shoot. I went back to the hotel and crashed. Wow. Still reading here. He said, I was expected to be on the floor, and this is the trainer speaking, again at about 11 a.m. And I woke up feeling sleepy, drowsy, and almost pretty much every side effect of sleep uh, deprivation. Thanks, Kobe. He said, I had a bagel, and I headed to the practice facility. The next part, I remember very vividly. All the Team USA players were there, feeling good for the first scrimmage. LeBron was talking to Carmelo, if I remember correctly, and Coach K was trying to explain something to Kevin Durant. And on the right side of the practice facility was Kobe by himself shooting jumpers. And this is how our next conversation went. I went over to him, patted him on the back, and said, good work this morning. Huh? Like the conditioning, good work. Oh, yeah, thanks, Rob. I really appreciate it. So when did you finish? Finish what? Getting your shots up. What time did you leave the facility? Oh, just now. I wanted 800 makes. So yeah, just now. Now we're talking about discipline, dedication to a game. <laughs> to a game. To a game. And so this, this trainer told this story, but you see the dedication that's there, the discipline that's there. Like he wanted to be the best. Now I want to go back to the scripture again. Let's look at this from our perspective as Christians. The Bible says, do you not know that those who run in the race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games 
exercise the self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Whenever I read this scripture and whenever I look at temporal things like athletics and I see how hard people train to get either a piece of metal, you know, a ring or, or, or a trophy, some type of status, and, I'm, and, I, and I think about living a Christian life and how lackadaisical we could be in our prayer life, in our uh, reading of the word, in our dedication to God. I'm like, man, they do this stuff for a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable, we, we have eternity to look forward to. But yet we get bogged down by the cares of this world, by the things in life, so much so that we don't give 100%. If Kobe Bryant, who died at the age of 41, y'all, could lay stuff out all on, on the line for a game, for something that he loved, his passion, a basketball game. Man, as Christians, as I read what the Apostle Paul said and how he lived his life, I'm convicted. This man was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was beaten, you know, man, he was hungry. Talking about the apostle Paul, he did all of this for the gospel. So when I look at greatness and, I, and I'm thinking in terms of in our faith, man, I'm looking at the apostle Paul and how he laid it all on the line. And I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at these athletes, no matter who they are, giving their all, I'm like, man, they can't outdo me. And my dedication to the Lord. They can't outdo me for a game and, and be more disciplined than I am for a game than I am in serving my master. It's convicting. We're talking about the two disciplines. That's discipline number one. Discipline number one, self-control, self-governing. We're going to talk about discipline number two. We get back. Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. Stay tuned. Will Addison on Aaron Addison's. This is Wednesdays with Will. We're talking about discipline today. And uh, on the first segment, I covered uh, the first discipline and just meaning being self-controlled and self-governing, able to uh, lay aside things, uh, put things on on the side to accomplish a goal. You know, and as living as as Christians, as living at, as those who are followers of Christ, we have to be disciplined followers. The scripture that I read from was 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. And the example there, it, to me, was the Apostle Paul. 
you know, he lived his life as he talked about, <laughs> as inspired by the Holy Spirit in, in these verses, you know, that he didn't run without aim. He didn't box like he was just beating the air. But there was a, a discipline uh, towards uh, how he lived. He says so much so that after he had preached to others, he himself did not want to be disqualified. And so there's a discipline uh, that takes, uh, takes shape there that, that we need. You know, we have to ask God if we don't have that, we need to pray uh, that we would have that, that discipline. And the second discipline I wanted to talk about, uh, it has to do mainly with the Father's discipline, how God disciplines us, you know, padeo. Uh, to train, to instruct children, uh, to mold. We need to be disciplined in this way as well. So there's a shaking taking place in, in America right now. Uh, there are a lot of things that are unsettled. Uh, we are dealing with crime, sexual deviancy. You know, there's the pandemic, cries for justice, partiality, and a host of other things happening in America. And while I would agree that America needs an awakening, a true revival from God, I feel pressed to bring uh, the conversation to a more personal level, personal level. Now, while we were uh, seeing and desiring America to be shaken, uh, we as individuals in the body of Christ, we need to be shaken and, uh, and awakened ourselves. It starts with us, personal level. And the only way we get what we desire to see in America, is if the church, uh, in America, the church would be who the church is supposed to be. That's the only way. If the people of God, the body of Christ, individually are sold out, sanctified, and holy. Now, we can try other methods and try to get there in other ways, but we, we won't. It has to be a personal, individual thing that happens here where God revives our heart. Now, I don't know about you, but with all that's happening around us, I have a heightened desire uh, to look at myself and to do self-examination to see if I am legitimately in the faith. See, I think we need to step back and take an inventory on our lives to see where we are. So the fingers that I would desire to point at others are pointing at me in this moment. So this is a time for personal shaking, a time to say, am I being faithful to the Lord personally? And I, I hope you will ask yourselves these questions. Are you being personally uh, sanctified, a uh, uh, dedicated, a uh, disciplined, you know, unto the Lord? This is a time for accountability, for buffering, for refinement, for personal pruning. All right. So we, we always need to do a self-examination. We have to do that. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, and then through uh, 17 to 24, uh, the Bible reads, Therefore, you, who have, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in, in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice, practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself? 
that you will escape the judgment of God? <laughs> or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according, according to his deeds. That's a sobering message. So for us who would like to speak out on issues, for us who have something to say about everything, we need to turn that around and make sure that we are right ourselves. It's not that we should not speak out. It's not that we should not uh, bring light to situations of darkness. But are we speaking from a point where we are being sanctified and made holy ourselves? It goes on to say in verse 17 through 24, But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you teach yourself? <laughs> you who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Wow. Now, at this point, I want to point to something because those are sobering words. They call for an, an examination of ourselves. As Christians, we are salt and light. We ought to bring light into darkness. We ought to speak out on issues with the biblical truth that God has given us. But we are not to be hypocrites. So I received this email today. And I'm going to read some of this email to you. It says, and, it, and it's funny, it brought up Josh Duggar, who was recently arrested for possession of child pornography. And you guys know the Duggars. You remember that uh, TV show, and it was a large family, and all the children, and they were Christians. And, and so this person brought up that one of my, my brother, Abraham Hamilton, says, the world is going to whirl. But then he says, this is an email I'm reading, he said, conservative Christian Josh Duggar was recently arrested for possession of child pornography. And then he says, so I guess Christians are going to Christians. Ooh. Then he said, every time a conservative Christian is caught molesting children or cheating on their spouse or breaking some other law, I'm going to say Christians are going to Christians. Because that's what people, you people do. Now, this is this person speaking. That's what you people do. You, you are hypocrites who pretend you are morally superior to everyone else while doing the same horrible things as everyone else. That was the email that I received today. 
Now, I'm thinking about the scripture that I just read in Romans. And it talks about if you say that you're a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you breaking the law? Do you dishonor God? And it says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. When we are not disciplined, when we are not disciplined, when we are not who we claim to be, and look, it happens. But if we see any dents in our armor right now, like those things have to be submitted to God. Because when we present a presentation, when we put something out there that's not true, and it's not what it really is, we cause those who don't know God to blaspheme. And that's what this person who sent this email was basically doing, saying, you Christians, you know, you do the same thing everybody else do. So if you're going to say the world going to world, I'm going to say the Christian is going to Christian. Look, these are the things that we have to submit to God and say, God, help me to live out my life so that I can be above reproach, that I would have a good name inside and outside of the, of the body of Christ. It's very real. Discipline. So it's time for a personal shaking, right? It's time for a personal shaking. There was a 2019 survey that says a third, one, a third of Americans who attend a Protestant church on a regular basis, 32% say they uh, read the Bible personally every day. Around a quarter, 27% say they read it a few times a week. 32% say that they read the Bible personally every day. And around a quarter, 27% say uh, they read it a few times a week. Then it goes on to say fewer say they only read it once a week, 12%. A few times a month, 11%. Or once, in, or once a month, 5%. And close to one in eight, 12% admit they rarely or never read the Bible. Wow. If we're not reading the word of God, if we're not taking in, you know, his commands, if we're not feasting on the word of God, then problems will arise in our walking this Christian faith out. You can't do it. There was a, there was a Barna study that showed, it said over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visit lasts six minutes and 29 seconds. The porn industry annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. It is also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases 
the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. And 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. This is what we're dealing with. Now, these are not the numbers. I haven't gotten to the numbers like in the church. These are just the general numbers, which is crazy. We need a personal shaking to take place in our land. 56, 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. It's more than half. And look at this. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the past 12 months. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. This is a, a problem. We need a personal shaking. Us who say, don't steal, do you steal? The one who said, you know, is a teacher, do you teach yourself? The one who says, don't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? These are the things we got to, if we say we want, you know, an awakening in this land, we have to look at these things really, really hard and say, man, Lord, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. Wow. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. They're not just men. Women too. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 57%, and I know, that, look, talking about this is uncomfortable. But this is where we are. If we say we desire to have an awakening, if we are disciplined followers of Christ, we have to deal with these issues. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. And 69% say porn has adversely impacted the church. Look, y'all. Not to mention the abortion issue. <laughs> There's just so many things going on. We have to do personal inventory and be disciplined followers of Christ. Disciplined followers of Christ. The discipline, the being able to be taught, molded, shaped by, by God. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. We'll be right back.
Seated on the throne, he's the most high God. High and lifted up, he's the most high God. Holy, 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 he's the most high God. And the train of his robe fills the temple. Complex but simple. Lord of Lords, you reign, yeah. And we marvel at the wonder of you. Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will. And we're into some heavy waters, but it's all good. We have to talk about these things because if we desire to see what we say we desire to see, we have to be disciplined followers of God. In the first segment, I talked about being disciplined in, in, in a way of having self-control as far as, uh, uh, like Paul was saying, that he didn't run without aim. And he didn't box as he was like beating the air, you know, but he disciplined his body and made it his slave. And so the thing is, we got to keep his body under submission to the, to the to will of God in order to be successful. And how the Apostle Paul, he went through so many things, um, but he was a disciplined follower of Christ. And I kind of um, compared, as I looked at Kobe Bryant and what he uh, did in order to be a great athlete for a game, you know, how often we fall so short of our dedication to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our living out, you know, uh, being a follower of Christ. The discipline is not there a lot of times. We, and we understand, too, that when we're, as we're following Christ, it's, there's a spiritual battle going on. So it's not easy to be disciplined, <laughs> you know, but we have to do so. In order for us to be effective, you know, in what he's called for us to do, we have to have discipline. Then in the second segment, we talked about a, dis- a different discipline, uh, padeo, um, and, and, and really the, the training and the molding and the instruction of the Lord. Now I want to look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 to 12. It says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. So God allows the shaking in our lives as his children and corrects us because he loves us. And so as we do our self-examination and we feel the conviction of God, that's a good thing. We don't want to remain in our sin. And I'll tell you, I talked uh, before the break and I highlighted pornography. Uh, there's also other issues. Like I said, there's a, a big issue of the, the, the killing of innocent life, the abortion issue. You know, there are other things, trafficking, all kind of stuff. And the church has a part to play in this stuff. And so as I was going through the list of different stats about what's happening as far as in the church and pornography, that stuff is very real. There are pastors, there are leaders, maybe even under the sound of my voice, who are struggling with this as an addiction. And I want to tell you that God delivers. He still delivers. That was something that I struggled with. For a long time, and God delivered me. He delivers uh, from sin. But the one that he reproves, the one that he corrects, he loves. And so as we feel that conviction, as we feel, man, oh, he's coming down. I feel the weight of my sin. That's a great thing, that you feel the weight of your sin. But now it's time to turn to God and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, change me. Cry out to God. A scripture that's uh, akin to that, I want to look at Hebrews uh, chapter, chapter 12. Uh, he just 
the writer of Hebrews coming out, chapter 11, you know, where he talks about the, the hall of faith, the great, you know, uh, ones who stood for the gospel. It's known as the hall of fame of faith. And in 12, he starts off in recognition of, of these great saints who came before us, fought the good fight, kept the faith in the face of adversity. Say, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Here we have that same type of lingo where it's, you see an athlete, one who has a race before him and that we are to lay aside everything that will try to hinder us, every encumbrance and run the race that God has set before us. So we get that, get that picture again of the athlete, an elite athlete. Uh, he has to get rid of all things that would hinder him to be in optimal condition. He has to get rid of it, whether that's sugar, fatty foods, whatever it may be. This athlete, if he want to be the best and he wants to excel, he has to get that stuff out of the way. Listen to the writer here in Hebrews chapter 12. He speaks of what uh, we, the saints, must do and continue to do and what Jesus has already done. Lay aside, to put away, to stow away or renounce. There are some things in our lives that every time we come up against it, it, snap, it, it snags us. We have to lay that stuff on the side if we're going to be useful for God. Every weight. So lay aside, put away every weight. That's the bulky stuff, the encumbrances, the burdens, those things that weigh us down, and the sin. So we're talking about weights and sins, missing the mark, sinful deeds. So we have to lay aside weights, things that will hold us back and hold us down, and sins that entangles us, easily surrounding or encircling us, distracting us. What are those things? What are those things that, that are encircling you, you know, that, that are distracting you from being who you are to be in Christ. And it's, it's funny because the writer here said, we need to lay aside those things. These are things that we have to actively do through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, that we will lay these things, that we will identify what they are, and we will lay them aside, the weights, the sins, the encumbrances. And they say, with endurance, so that's with steadfastness, patiently waiting for, let us run, that means exercise myself, make progress. Let us run the race, the contest, a struggle in the soul that's laid before us to be set before, already there. So these are things that we have to do. Then we can do these things because why? We fix our eyes on who? On the one who already completed the race. The one who already completed the race. The only reason that we can lay aside every sin, every weight, and the sin that so easily beset us is because Christ did it perfectly, that he lived this life without sin. He laid, every side, he, he laid aside everything, everything that would try to hold him down, hold him back. Jesus already completed that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's Hebrews 12, 2. So we can do what we're called on to do. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily beset us. And let us run this race. And we can do that because we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who already has done it. So Jesus ran and completed his race perfectly. So now, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So looking at Jesus, man, considering him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, we look at that, we consider that so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews 12.3. So I believe God is calling out his people as our father. He's convicting hearts. And if you hear him, he's pointing out areas and shining the light on blind spots in our lives so that we can be disciplined followers of Christ. It's part of the shaking. It's part of how we're going to get what we say we want in this country or in our lives. If we want revival, if we want an awakening, it starts personally with us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verses uh, 4 through 11. The question today is what are the, the sins that you tolerate? What are those things that you tolerate? What are those sins that's like, oh, it's okay. It's like, like a pet sin. It's like you have a house with many rooms and that's this one room that you don't want the Holy Spirit to go in. Uh, I like that. I like that part. Don't go in there. All these other rooms you can have, God, but when it comes down to this, that's my one. You can't have that. What is that in, in your life? What is that in my life? What are those scenarios that each time it's presented to you, it entangles you? It's like that trap. Every time, you know, you're, you're presented with this scenario, whatever it may be, let's go chill out over here. Let's go do this and that. It entangles you. What are those things? What sin is it that we have made a cozy habitation for in our lives? Man, we got some plush pillows. We got a, a comforter for that sin. Oh, man, we, we make it comfortable. What is it? The Holy Spirit has his finger on that right now. As you're listening to me and you're identifying what it is, the Holy Spirit is pointing out that thing. Don't take lightly the discipline of the Lord. God gives us opportunity after opportunity to get stuff right before he publicly exposes us. It's his mercy towards us. You know, we can have things that we're battling with and struggling with. Praise God for the struggle. But there comes a point, man, where the, that, that runs out and God for our own good would expose us publicly. And that hurts. But, man, we have an opportunity right now to get things right, to go to God right now and repent and say, Lord, change me. Is there an addiction? Is there an attraction, a habit, a disposition that has mastery over you? Is it gossiping? Is it lying, deceiving, jealousy, covetousness, pride? False humility? What is it? 
what the Holy Spirit is pointing out, don't faint at it because for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. So it's a good place to be in. If you're feeling conviction, man, go to your father. He loves you. Beware if you, if you are never disciplined by the Lord. If there is no conviction of sin at all, man, be, beware. If you are without discipline of which uh, all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We're not really in the family if there's no discipline. The writer of Hebrews goes on to compare our relationship and discipline of earthly fathers and how their discipline, even though having good intentions, does not match up to our heavenly father's discipline. That's always good. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 says, earthly fathers most of the time have good intentions behind their discipline of us. They have love in their hearts for us. Our fathers have love in their hearts for us. That's why they discipline us, because we are sons, because we are daughters. I was disciplined a lot as a child. My dad disciplined me a lot. And I'm going to tell you what, it made me who I am today. I look back at it, and I'm like, praise God for a dad who loved me enough to tell me I was wrong, enough to take out that belt and say, hey, you know, you better stop doing that. Man, I praise God for the discipline of an earthly father. How much more our heavenly father, who loves us, has our best interest in mind and disciplines us perfectly. Our earthly fathers didn't get it perfect. Heavenly father gets it perfect. And how true it is, that last verse we, we can read, um, all discipline, for the moment, it seems not to be joyful. No, we know that's true. But sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline is not fun. The Bible tells us. It don't seem joyful at the moment, but it's sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by discipline, afterwards, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's what we want. We want to be righteous. God desires to discipline us so that we can truly live righteous lives. Again, what is the Holy Spirit putting his finger on today? What room in your home have you closed off and said, this is mine? That room that only you have the key to. God wants access to that room and all the rooms in our, in our hearts, in our lives. It's time for shaking. It's not the time anymore for wavering or being unsettled. God desires that our lives will be like those, would be those like the men who built his house on a rock. The man who built his ho- house on a rock. The winds and the rain, they came, yet his house stood strong. Let's do self-examination, y'all. If we desire to see revival in this country, if we desire to see an awakening in the land, it starts with us. It starts with us. This has been Aaron and Addison's here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will. Tomorrow we'll be back with you, Lord willing. Until then, God bless.